1: Let's go on with the show. Hey, audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing. Today, I have Andrew for, who is Money Is CEO, right? Uh, And he's a real estate marvel, and he has done almost like 1,000 transactions in real estate, and now focusing a lot more on commercial buildings. And his target market is more Utah, Idaho, and Georgia right now. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, James, how are you, man? Thanks for having me on the show, buddy.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, uh, I know we uh, met uh, when we did a recording of my show on on your show, which is Money Is. And I was super impressed with the whole setup and the vision that you guys have on Money Is, which is really, really uh, uh, the next level of, uh, you know, I would say uh, interview, right? Uh, And and I was super impressed and I'm happy for that. and. Thanks for having me on the show and I'm just stoked to have you on my show and go deep into sure. you because I, w- I really want to, <laughs> you, you, you are a very amazing person and I want to really, um, you know, tap into your brain and your mindset and see, you know, uh, okay. how can our audience and listeners uh, learn from you as well. Um, sure. So let, let's get started. So talk about money issue. I mean, you you interviewed like big guys like Grant Cardone, Kevin O'Leary or uh, Gary Vee, yeah. right these are you know the big guys, the big guns right Tell, tell us about the show yeah. and tell yeah. us about some of the experiences that you had this interviewing these big guys
2: you know um, you know when I started the Money as show, um, I just had an idea you know I had taught so long about money and the the topic of money and kind of how the game of money is played and one of the things that I realized quickly while I teaching it so much was that. Um, there was just a lack of understanding why people wanted money. You know, when you, when you teaching it, and I thought every single week <clears throat> um, people would think they wanted money because they wanted a car or they wanted a, you know, uh, they wanted a new house or they, this vacation or whatever it was. And all those things are good, of course, but um, the issue is it's not big enough to keep you driving because you know, in business things get tough all the time. I mean, literally yesterday, I got straight up just kicked right in the teeth, you know, with business that I didn't see coming anywhere. Um, So really having that answer of what does money mean to you and really clearly defining that um, I think is super important for people, which is how I started the money is show was I wanted to know what money means to different people and there's no right or wrong answer there, but it just can't be, you know, um, materialistic things. Right. Um, So that's why I started the show money is, and then, I I've just been fortunate enough to interview, you know, like you said, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Grant Cardone, Kevin O'Leary from shark tank, uh, Dean Graciosi, Josh Altman from uh, his TV show. I've like, interviewed a bunch of people from HGTV, you know, A&E all those shows. Uh, and it's been really fun, man. I interviewed you of course, James uh, at the office. as what you were talking about and uh, just meeting with successful people that have created success in their field, whatever that is, and then ask them what money means to them. So it's been a great experience for sure.
1: So let's go back into your money is show and talking to all these big guys, or even even the HGTV guys, uh, even sure. bad people like me, right? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of successful guys like me. So, what's your conclusion until now? What is money?
2: Well, first of all, I think money. You know, now I've been the show so so many times. It's amazing uh, how many different answers you get. You know, mm-hmm. from different people. Um, you know but for me i'll put it in my terminology of what i think money is um the word that i always use for money is i think money is influenced and that's the word that i always go with when i talk about when people ask me what does money mean to, you know to me uh, i've had a unique you know again awesome awesome you know kind of career that i have but you know i sit down with large ceos of hundred million dollar companies and ask all these questions i learn constantly from them but to me money is influence it just means that you know money um is kind of funny when you think about it the same dollar like me and you could have literally in our passings of life have literally touched the same money we, have, we could have literally touched the same dollar not even knowing each other but we could have touched the same dollar just because money is always in movement you know when you take that dollar bill it's constantly in movement somewhere whether i'm buying this ink pen right here or whatever it is Money is always flowing, which is a huge, huge secret of, of money. Um, and to me, when you get into um you talk about money again, is like not only do we mean you have touched the same dollar bill, that same dollar could be used for good in the world or it could be used for bad in the world. The same dollar, which is, if you think about this for a second, where it kind of almost gets creepy. Like, take a hundred dollar bill, for example, that hundred dollar bill one time might have been used to um, pay a power bill that same $100 bill might have been used because it then went to somebody else and maybe they used it to buy their kids school supplies to go back to school. That same $100 bill then also could have went to, um, you know, uh, feed uh, uh, um, orphans at a charity. And also that same $100 bill could have been used to buy drugs and cocaine. And that same $100 bill could have also been used to hire a hitman uh, to kill someone. I mean, but it's the same actual, you know, $100 bill But what you see is that it is used for good or is used for evil, you know, and it's up to us of how we use that uh, money there. And so for me, I always think that money is influence and my job as a person is to make sure I use money to influence the right way that I'm using it to do the right things with and not, you know, the wrong things with. So my money, my answer is always money is influence basically. Got
1: it. Got it. So that's, that's a really good answer. So, from all your interview that you have done until now, like I mean, I don't yeah. know, maybe a hundred of people, right? Was there something that where you, you know, after all this interview where you concluded what money is not from talking to all uh, the uh, successful people?
2: Sure. I'd probably tell you that money is not easy to get. I'd probably give you that answer. Okay. You know, money is, um, Money is not easy to get. You know, a lot a lot of people want it. You can think of America. We have 300 and close to 50 million people in America here. Uh, probably the greatest country uh, right now to be able to create wealth, and the majority of people still don't have it. Like the majority of people don't have it. You know, so just understand that if you're listening right now or watching and you're trying to create wealth, you know, just, I'll be honest with you. Money is not super easy to get. It takes the right ingredients. Um, Maybe a better definition I could say is I always say that, you know, kind of money is a game and in any game that you play, you have to know the rules of that game. And if you don't know the rules of the game, well, it makes it very difficult for you to to ever win because you're not playing by the rules of the game. Um, And so I would tell you what money is not, money is not easy to get because most people just don't know the rules of the game.
1: So let's go into some rules that, you know, you can, <laughs> can talk about from your side, right? What do you think, I mean, yeah. because you have interviewed a lot of people and it's very, oh, yeah. very intense discussion about money, right? And I'm sure yeah, a lot yeah. of them have said that this is how I got it, this is how I think about it and all that. But let's just look at like top you know, uh, three, you know, what are the rules to get money?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, what I always say is that first of all, um, to understand money the number one rule just the number one rule of money if you want to create wealth in your life is that money must always be in movement i just refer to it as money movement and it means that if you take you know two different types of people here um you know what i call maybe like one side i refer to as a contributor and one side as a creator of money so you have a contributor of money and a creator of money and um and for lack of better terms the the contributor is someone who's always working a job and can never just get ahead always paycheck by paycheck and then the creator is someone to say that has defined and they're wealthy now if you look at one of the big differences between those two different kind of categories there is that contributors never ever um move their money they're trying to play the um, hold on to it game and they're trying to hold it as long as possible as tight as possible their whole approach to money is let me um, live below my means let me save my money up every last penny of I can get let me not enjoy life if you will do the things that I really maybe want to do or you know take my family on vacation and let me put it in a 401k I'll save it over there I'll stuff it away and hopefully one day when I retire it'll all work out um, and, and they call that the, you know, I call that contributor side and then you have the creator side and the creators, the one that create wealth, they create money. Um, they own businesses, they're entrepreneurs, they, um, they're investors, uh, and they're always, uh, creating, uh, money for lack, for, you know, again, lack of better words. And what I mean by that is if you look at those two differences, um, the creators, those that are wealthy are always, always moving money. I'm going to use you here for the example, James, you know, when, when people invest with you and with an apartment building, those people are moving money. That's what's taking place. And when money moves, right? So they have this money in whatever account they have it in, they move that money. They don't hold on. They don't hold on to it. They don't try to store it under their mattress or in a a CD or checking account when they move the money and they, let's say they move it to your apartment building that you're going to um, um, develop there. That money then creates more money. So when money is moved Uh, into the right categories, it allows for that money to create more money. If that same part, you take two people side by side, one person, uh, say they each have $100,000 to do, one person invests with you $100,000 and they move that money and it creates more money. The other person holds onto the money and refuses to move it. Well, one begins to actually create money and one begins to only contribute to money. And so the number one rule of money that I always talk about between these two different categories, and if you just look at it across the board, blue collar, hardworking, salt of the earth, paycheck by paycheck people and wealthy people, what is the big, big difference? Blue collar, hardworking, which is my own family, by the way. So how I grew up, we never moved money. We never would go and invest with apartments or invest in a deal because it was all about holding onto that money. Where if you look at wealthy people, anytime you get around wealthy people, you talk about on the show, when I'm on the show, every conversation is about like what are you and what do where is your money going and they're always putting it somewhere they're they're never saying oh well lately what I've been doing is sitting on it and burying it like no one says that answer every single person i interview is talking to me about how they move that money so you know you're talking about the game of money defining the first rule of money would be that money's going to have to move or you're going to forever be stuck on the contribution side of it. And one more point on this that I think is funny is that when you refuse to move money, um, money will move with or without you. And so some people will get stuck in this world of like saying, well, I'm just going to hold on my money, hold my money, hold my money. The thing about it is money moves with or without uh, your permission, really. Um, it's why a person gets paid a paycheck and let's just say for illustration purposes, the paycheck goes into a bucket, you know, a checking account, but it goes in this checking account, a bucket, and they're trying to hold this bucket really, really tight. But by the end of the month or the end of the week or two weeks, whatever it is, all that money, they look back in the bucket and that money is gone and, it, and it's, it's somewhere else. And then they got to go back to work to do it, to put money back in the bucket and go back to work. And every time they put money in the bucket, it goes away. Um and while the whole time what they're trying to do is hold on to all of it. But even when they're trying to hold on to it, it still disappears. And that's because if you look at it, um going back to the creator side, where does this money go? Okay, so here's this contributor, they get they get a paycheck, uh, and they pay the first uh, um bill, if you will. Where is that money going to? Well, normally their first bill is to maybe their mortgage or, or to the rent. Okay, so then the question becomes well, who owns all those rental properties, apartments, buildings like yourself, or um, um, mortgages. Well, creators, wealthy individuals hold those properties. So therefore the money is flowing from a contributor immediately to a creator on their very first uh, step. Okay. And then it, and then they pay their car payment. Well, who do you think owns all these banks that they get all these loans from? A Wealthy individual creators own those things. Uh, and then it goes to groceries and cell phone bills and you start going to the line, the, their money is moving. It's just moving to the other side. It's, so money always is moving, whether you want it to or not. The, the trick to money is you have to play the game of money movement. And if you refuse to play that game, there's not much I can help you with because that bucket is going to be constantly be empty. And you're hoping to, at the end of your life, when you retire, there's enough to live off of. And That philosophy, I have nothing to really do with at all. My philosophy is let's learn how to create money. Let's learn how to invest in apartment I don't have to be the one that knows apartments, James, but I have to be the one that's willing to to put my money into a deal or a building or whatever it may be, or a business, right? It doesn't have to be real estate. It could be a business or whatever it is. I got to be willing to move my money. And wealthy people um, are always moving their money. They will always tell you where they're moving it if you ask a kind of a paycheck by paycheck person, and again, this is not making fun of either side of it. I'm just trying to use for illustration the points and I'm going to use my own family here. You know, my mom and dad were just school teachers and they didn't have a lot of money. If I had to ask them, Hey, you know, where are you guys put your moving your money to? Like where are you investing in? Their answer was always the same. Oh, I'm putting in a savings or my, my retirement one day. Um, and you know, that game never plays out that way. It's always the other side that works, the the moving it to investment side. So that's the first rule, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, just before you go to the second rule. So, I mean, yeah, I was at a corporate uh, working W-2 job for almost, what, 22 years. And, um, and I, I mean, I, I don't know whether I mentioned this to you when we met. I saw Robert Kiyosaki's uh, book on real estate, which yeah. changed a lot of people's life you know, after reading sure. the first time. But- when I was working on a W2, I read his book, I think after like eight years working and I didn't want to read it because after a few pages, I said, this guy is some businessman who's, who is trying to you know do something that is not possible and I'd rather just work, right, kind of thing. So it's a, right. it's a, you just do not know until you know later later part of your life and when you're busy working, you're just busy working, right? Your, your network didn't expand, your knowledge didn't expand. You just want to make money and spend it and you want to have a life with the family and that's it, right? So until I start reading books about mindset and uh, how you change things and thinking big, right? Like uh, magic of thinking. Yeah. That's one of the, that's, that's one of the first book that changed my mind. And later on, I read Robert Kiyosaki book, then it makes a lot more sense. Right. But in the beginning um, it did not. Right. So, um, so how do you think mindset focuses? How does mindset relates to the way money flows? Because, that's important, right? If you don't have that mindset, you can't really move money, right? So,
2: yeah, I mean, it, you know, the funny thing about this, James, is, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I come from blue collar. I'm very, very logical thinker. I mean, my, my, I'm a teacher by nature, so I'm very logical in how I, you know, teach and, and, and explain stuff. And, you know, when I was teaching, I traveled the world, right? I've spoken on stages with, in, in 26 different countries around the world. And, Um, 42 of the states in America have spoken on events and and about money. And um, it was funny because at first I would try to stay away from the mindset side of money because I was like, well, you know, that's all pie in the sky mindset, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You got to think smart, whatever, but here's how you go, you know, you know, make money. And um, unfortunately um, it was so wrong. I mean, it was a hundred percent wrong. The, the truth of the matter is it is 100% you first have to fix that mindset because if you don't fix the mindset of how you view money and how you um, enjoy money, how you appreciate money, how you use money, um, there's no way that, I, that me or anybody else could ever show you how to create wealth because no matter what we sh- share with you and even show you, your mindset will still start ju- trying to justify why that won't work. And you know, not to call out any listeners right now, but those that listen to podcasts, my podcast, whatever it is, and they sit on the podcast or listen or watch, and they start really trying to explain to themselves why that's not accurate. Like, dude, that's the exact person I'm talking about because um, their mind is always trying to explain and justify why that's not true. And the whole time, they're not, they're not wealthy, but they're trying to tell someone who is wealthy why that process is wrong this exact person that you mainly referring to. But so to answer your question in, in one, one maybe a, a definition, I would say that mindset is 100%. The first thing that someone has to do to create wealth is change their mindset. Without that, it's all for naught.
1: Yeah, that's, that's very important, right? So once you have the mindset, once you open to the money, that you know, the money can come to you and you put in between of that transaction, right? So I think I read a book. I can't remember which book was it. They said, the whole world flows on uh, you know energy right and money is part of that energy and you have to position in self, yourself in between that energy on the flow so that you can yeah. tap into it if you don't tap into it you're just going to not nothing's going to work for you right so yeah, i think it's sure. important for you to be tapping into that money flow and you know put i mean that's what you mentioned right so some people do not want to invest they just want to put the money under the pillow right and they say we are too so scared to invest the economy is is collapsing is covid and uh, so then your money is not going to make money in fact you're losing money because inflation is eating up your money right so um, and, and and also how do you think the, the money flow with the risk because you know you can put a money into a cd and still make it grow at 0.02% or you can take some chance and put it into uh, an apartment syndication which makes like you know 15 to 20% you know, return, right? So it, it depends on the risk that you take too, right? And, and people have asked me, hey, uh, is, there, is this a guaranteed return? I said, there's nothing guaranteed except for the CD you put in. You want to put in the CD, you can get 0.02%, but if this is investment. You know, nothing is guaranteed, but you, know, you have to invest to make the money, right? So what do you think about the risk uh, level versus the money flow kind of thing?
2: Yeah, it's a great, great topic here. Um, you know, the thing about it is um, I use illustration all the time in teaching is that you know um, you use the word that, that money will die, if you will, if it, if it doesn't move and that's because of inflation and taxes. So here's, here's the point is that you could sit here and tell me that I'm wrong and that you know, or a viewer could you right? That that money does not have to move and flow. You could tell that all you want to. And then you could go play the game of holding on to it and try to do nothing with it forever. But at the end of the day, just understand that your money is dying, not growing. Uh, Even if your CD is paying you 1.2%, or even if your 401k on average is making you 5%. And just so you know, on average from 2008 to 18, um, the average 401k return was 3.5% over those 10 years. So sometimes people get confused and think, well, my 401k is making me 9%. And they're referring to the best year that it had. Um, they're not taking into account that over that 10 year period, they actually made three and a half percent. And that was a study done by Vanguard, uh, by the way. And so, uh, I, I use this comparison a lot. I'll say, uh, what is another word for money? Like what, if you, if you gave another word for the word money, like an older word that described money or that they used to use as money, what would another word be James that people used to use for the word money?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, um, all I mentioned that money is for, for karma, right? So, <laughs> or oh, you mean yeah, the old, some old terms that you, they use for money? Yeah.
0: Like,
2: like what's in the, what's in the word for money, basically? Hmm. I
1: don't know. That's a tricky it, it, question. It can be anything, right? So
2: no, no, I guess what I'm saying is like, it, mm-hmm. like not, not a, not a hypothetical one. Like the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for is currency. Yeah. I mean, currency. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, is, currency, right? yeah. Currency, right? Like fiat, yeah. right? Yeah. So understand this: money comes from the word currency, that's where the, the word money came from, the money comes from the word currency. Then the question is, okay, well, then what does the word currency come from? The word currency comes from the word called current. Mm-hmm. So the word current is what created the word currency and currency created the word money. Well, in currents, right? So I, I had a, a beach house in Florida for there to be an, a, a current in that water, right? If there was going to be a current in the water The only way that a current exists in water is that the water has to be what? Have to be flowing, right? It's got to be moving. It's got to be flowing. If the water is not flowing or moving, there is no current. If there's no current, there's no currency, no currency, no money. And if you understand, what made me think about this was you were talking about money that dies. Um, So for there to be a current in the ocean, the water's got to be moving, okay? Well, what happens if the water doesn't move? Let's say, go to another example where the, there is no movement at all of water. Uh, there is no current, there is no flow that's coming in. What is, what do we call that pile of water? Well, you could call it a swamp, you could call it the Dead Sea uh, or the Salt Lake uh, Lake, if you want to. Meaning it is so contaminated that things die, literally the name of it is the Dead Sea because water is not moving there. It's the same thing with money. When you refuse to move money, Okay, Um, which is the very definition where it came from was the word of current. If you refuse to move money, then your money's gonna die, just like things die when water does not move and it gets stale and it gets, um, it actually gets, uh, uh, you can get sick by drinking stale, dead water. Like, you know, if you think about like those TV shows like Naked and Afraid or whatever they do on Discovery Channel, and you see those people in the desert that haven't drank water in two days and they come across a little puddle, like a mud puddle, you know, where animals have been like bathing in and they'll run to it to drink out of it, even though they know that they're going to get sick from doing it because that water is so contaminated. That's what happens with money is that we know that, truth be told, our plan is not working to financially take care of our family and create a legacy for our family financially, but we just keep drinking that same dead water over and over again because we're so desperate to get it. So if you don't move money, money will die. And, uh, and, And going back one more point here and then money will die is people think, well, I'm investing my 401k at three and a half, five percent, whatever it is, or I'm investing in my CD. But when you take into consideration two things, the two killers of money, which are taxes and um, inflation, what's really happening is you're not actually making money, you're actually losing money. Because by the time you pay taxes, and all that money, well, first, in, first taxes on all of it, and you add inflation to all of that money, what you realize is you're not really making anything. You're, you're actually dying day by day. Uh, your money's dying. Same reason why hiding money under your mattress is no good. Because if a person would have hit a thousand dollars on their mattress in in you know 1950, thinking, my God, I've got a thousand dollars in 1950, that was a decent amount of money. But 2020, that's like, so what? It's a thousand dollars. Like, what is that going to do for you right now? That's because that money has died, lost value because of inflation and taxes. So those are two things you got to watch out for. If you don't, if you refuse to move money count, make sure you just count to effect taxes and inflation and you your math will start not working out as good as you thought it was.
1: Got it. Got it. So before we go to further rules of the money, right? Uh, I just want to, how do you relate the money to real estate and how did it, how did real estate impact your life with regards to money? And do you think real estate is the only way to get money?
2: Um, yeah. So I, I, a couple of questions there. So I started in real estate kind of my, my, my birth of, of money was in real estate. Uh, Single-family homes is where I started at, and um, so I'm obviously very uh, near and dear to real estate because uh, where I created my wealth from. Um, you know, if you ask me, um, you know, even to this day, I'm not a huge investor in the stock market. Uh, I'm not against it. I do have money in certain things in the stock market. I do not own mutual funds. Just putting it out there, I don't own mutual funds. I have a very you know more. Um, capital, advance, uh, uh, um, where I'm looking for certain things to go high up in value. And there's a risk of course in that. Um, so, you know, for me, if you ask me, you know, how do I feel about money in real estate? In my opinion, I still believe that real estate is the best investment that people can ever make because even in a down economy, I mean, it doesn't matter again, I'm gonna lean on you here, but even if you have apartment buildings and you have all these apartment buildings and the economy goes down, Okay, well, if the economy is going to go down where it's affecting everybody, like the whole economy, um, you still have a hard asset. I Meaning you still have a physical thing that you have right there, um, where if you lose that in a stock market, um, that's it. You don't have it anymore. Like it, you, you had X amount of shares and now you don't have X amount of shares um, because the money, the, the money has gone down in value. So to me... Um, Real estate is still the best investment that I enjoy making. I think, second from in, in real estate, is just businesses. Uh, I love to invest in businesses. Uh, and sometimes, when you're really investing in real estate at a higher level, you are really investing kind of in a business. Um, you know, even again, I'm trying to use you. You know, what they're really investing a lot of times is they're investing in James and they're saying, Do I think James has the right structure in place and the right staff in place and the right team in place? To acquire this property, you know, get the funding for the property, fix the property, create the value in the property, the value add, and then um, create that, you know, equity slash cash flow. So, a lot of times, I think that I think the best investment is, is real estate and business, and then probably stock um, is how I would play the game. I love to invest in businesses at this point. Uh, I think investing in bus- businesses are very very fun, and that business again could be directly tied to real estate, actually.
1: Got it. Got it. Got it. So let's go into the other rules that you think you know. Let's go into the uh, the other rules of sure. uh, the money. So I think I think yeah. first was creating, where we talk about the contributor versus uh, the the creator, right? So let's go to the other rules that you think uh, will be you know will be really good so, uh, information for our audience.
2: Yeah. So you the go back here for a second. The first rule is that money has to move. Without that rule. There's no way to actually create anything because that's where money is created from is from the movement of money. The second big concept, is, and there's kind of three rules in this one, is to be wealthy. If you study wealthy people, which I've had the unique ability to do, there's three things there. Wealthy people, know how to, um, wealthy people know how to create money, they know how to keep money, and they know how to protect money. If you find any wealthy person out there that has legitimate wealth, um, they're doing something where they are creating money. Now, that could be investing in real estate, that could be investing in businesses, that could be owning real estate, owning businesses, but they're doing something that is creating them money or capital, if you will. And the only way to create money is by moving it, which is the first rule. So number one, wealthy people are constantly in the game of moving it and creating it. Number two, they're very, very good at keeping what they make. And this is one of the, probably the, one of the biggest differences between um, the wealthy and, you know, the, the contributors is that wealthy people know how to make all this money. And then they know how to keep this money. Um, and maybe this is a, not a great example for political side of things, but it's a great example of money side of things. And that is just recently, I was watching the, the debates and uh, they were kind of, or the news was kind of, uh, someone that they kind of released Donald Trump's tax returns. And this is not if you're former against them, but when they released his tax returns, it was shown that he only paid like $750 of federal income tax, whatever it may be. And I don't even know if it's true or not. I, I'm saying that's what he said, right? And in the debate, they kind of, they try to kind of attack him with it. And um, the point is like, if you understood what was really happening there, here's a guy that was able to create massive amount of wealth that year, but then somehow pay way less than a school teacher would pay in, 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 those, in that federal taxes right there. Um, and it's because there's so many tax advantages that the wealthy understand um, that the regular contributor, either A, never has heard of before, or B, they don't know how to actually do it. Like, they, never even, they don't understand the concept of it, right? And so, we could hate him for, you know, uh, paying less than a school teacher, but it's not just him. If you went to every single wealthy person out there, go to Jeff Bezos. You think, Jake, why is it that Amazon is paying zero dollars uh, in federal why is netflix who paying no money in federal income tax it's because the wealthy know certain rules of money that the regular maybe individual just doesn't understand about it and is how to keep it so you know big picture here you know just kind of going through some of them and there's lots of different categories everything from trust and all kinds of stuff but you know getting into some basic levels i mean to me one of the best things that, that I do to keep my money is what's called a solo Roth. Um, so this is not your typical um, Roth. Um, this is what's referred to as a solo Roth or solo 401k. And I, am, I use my money in there all the time. And I will literally, when you get into playing that game right there, I can put, um, I'm, I'm 38, so I can put up to, uh, I think it's $58,000 a year contributions into my, uh, solo Roth, basically per year.
1: So, so is that well, the same as solo 401k, a solo Roth is the same as solo 401k? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Same thing. It's just, I never use the 401k side. I only use the Roth side of it. So therefore oh, okay. I just want a solo Roth. Cause you know, without going you know, in into depth here, it's like you could either, um, you know, if you're going to play the game of money movement. Okay. So this I described in class, if you're gonna play the game of money movement. Okay. And we're going to take this, however much it is, you know, $100,000 and we're going to go invest and we're going to go move this money and move this money over and over and over for the next 30, 40 years. We're going to just keep investing, investing it. The question becomes, would I rather pay taxes up front on $100,000 or would I rather in 20 years turn that $100,000 into $3 million and then pay taxes on $3 million? Because that number isn't the same anymore. It's the same hundred thousand dollars that started, but on one time I made three million, another one, um, and I got to pay no taxes on the three million, or I got to pay taxes on the three million. So for me, I'm I only play the Roth game because I'm always moving my money, constantly moving my money. Um, So uh, and one of the cool things as you get into solo Roth is they have a thing where you can invest in. Private uh, like equity businesses. And if you, if you actually study, look it up, the number one investments of the wealthy are these private equity firms. Um, and you could go, uh, if, you, if your listeners are listening, you wanna go study some wealthy people that have used what I'm telling you right now. Uh, you can go look, uh, study the um, owner of LinkedIn or Mitt Romney. Um, and there's a bunch of other ones out there where they have actually documented their stories of how they use these loopholes to make an insane amount of money and then pay nothing in taxes. Let me prove my point here for a second. This was like in 2012, uh, Mitt Romney um, had over $100 million inside of his Roth accounts. Well, how the heck do you get $100 million inside of Roth accounts when the average contributor person thinks, well, the most you can contribute by law is you know, $5,500 or $6,000 per year. Well, then how did you go from $6,000 a year of contributions to $100 million? and it's what I'm explaining to you right now, is that once the money's in there, they're gonna move the money constantly, with, and they're only gonna do it on the Roth side, because the Roth side will allow them to invest, move that money into businesses, private equity firms, real estate, apartment buildings, et cetera, make that money back and pay nothing in taxes for it. And then as soon as they get it back, they do, as soon as they get it back, let's say, let's make up numbers here, they invested 100,000, let's say they got back 200,000, whatever the number is, When they get that 200 thousand dollars back number one they don't pay anything in taxes number two guess what they do with it as soon as they get it back in the account guess what they do with it send it right back out they got to move it again because they invest again right yeah they have to because that's how they make money that's how wealthy people make money is their money is always on out to work basically Uh, it's like you know uh, there's two ways to make money either you work or your money works and wealthy people, their money always works. And the blue-collar contributors, they always work, right? So uh, uh, I'm a big component on the solo Roth side of it. One of the great, great, great investments out there, be, mine is buying shares of companies, uh, which if you studied Mitt Romney, that's what he was doing. He was a lot of times buying shares of his buddy's company that was getting started, uh, a new company. It had no value. And they'll invest and buy shares of that company, um, uh Uh, And who they're really investing in is the owner because they believe that that guy, girl who's running it is going to explode this company. Well, another thing is what's called the ROBS, R-O-B-S. So inside of a solo Roth, you can do what's called a ROBS, uh, R-O-B-S. And I've had great success with the ROBS because with the ROBS is basically where I'm going to take my money and I'm going to invest my money in my own company and I'm gonna buy 100% of all the shares of my company, okay? So here's my solo Roth on one side. My money is tax-free in that account, okay? So I'm gonna invest my money, whatever amount it is, into my company over here, and I'm gonna buy 100% of all the shares. Well, when I do that, you know, now I own my company. Say it's a C corporation, by the way. So my company, you know, is paying you know, my salary and, and car and expenses and so forth, right, that I have, uh, at the end of the year, let's say that I have, you know, I've made, I paid all my bills and expenses and, and et cetera, and I, I, I've made, you know, $5 million in my company. Well, I can pay that money back out to my own freaking solo Roth called a ROBS in this example. And so I could take that, you know, $5 million and pay, pay, not pay back, but pay the investment back into my Roth. Because that's who owns the shares. So I'm distributing the money to the shareholders at the end of the year. Well, now all of a sudden, my retirement account has $5 million tax-free. It just got into my retirement account, all tax-free. These are the games. That are the, these and, There's other games. but These are the games of the wealth you're playing at a very, very high level.
1: So, so do you think uh, they can invest into a syndication with a solo rock?
2: Yeah, 100%. That, that, okay. That's one of the main investments people make. Now, Mitt Romney one investment he was making was into apartment buildings, oh, uh, into right. a syndication, where they were putting money into a syndication, um, and and for you know at that level with him because they have so much money, it might have been only five you know friends doing it, um, but it doesn't matter if it's five or five hundred or five thousand, it's irrelevant. Um, but yeah, you can invest with a solo Roth into a, um, a syndication all day long, no problem.
1: And when are you able to take out this money? This is it like when you're like 60 and above.
2: Uh, you said when, you, when, when can you withdraw the money?
1: Yeah, when, what age can you withdraw the money tax free kind of thing? Because all this is a tax uh, avoiding vehicle, right? You don't pay tax at all.
2: Yeah, you pay no tax on any of this money. So the age for a Roth is 59 and a half years old. So at 59 and a half, you can withdraw that money out uh, tax free as much as you want to. And live on it for the rest of your life spend it however you want to buy a boat with it it's irrelevant but where people get confused that is they think well yeah but you know uh i'm only 38 right now so what am i gonna not spend not make any money from 59 and a half and it's and again it goes back to no man you're just missing all the rules of the game so one of the accounts that i set up was a thing called a the nickname is called a golden roth Um, so a golden Roth is basically a Roth account, um, that has been passed down to me, um, from somebody. It doesn't even matter who it's irrelevant, but a golden Roth has been passed down to me. So when you are given a golden Roth, what happens is that Roth, um, because it's a golden Roth takes away the age limit of when you can withdraw that money. So if I'm, I got my Golden Roth when I was 30 years old. So I inherited this Roth with very, very little money in it. But that was irrelevant to me because I, I know how to create money. That's mo- money movement. So, but once I had a, uh, what's called a Golden Roth, I could go do that exact same deal, bring that money right back to my, um, you know, invest in an apartment syndication, whatever, maybe a, a flicks and flip, doesn't matter. Bring that money back to my inherited Roth, Golden Roth. And the very next day at 30 years old, withdraw that money, all whatever, maybe I made $73,000, withdraw $73,000. It goes in my golden Roth tax-free. I pay no taxes on it. The very next day I call my custodian and withdraw all that money, my personal checking account. And I pay no taxes on that $73,000 either. So when I'm, I'm now 38 years old and I have a golden Roth that anytime I want to, I can go withdraw as much as I want to. So I could, I could withdraw all of it if I wanted to and pay nothing in taxes. So, you know, as you set up your system, your structure of taxes, it takes time, but as you get deeper into it, and as you understand the game more, um, my most active account is probably my solo Roth uh, investing in businesses and so forth. And I can withdraw that money when I'm 59 and a half. However, um, I've also set up a a golden Roth, which means now, let's say I want to make a million dollars a year to live off of. That golden Roth, I'll invest money, make my million dollars off of it. I buy shares of stock of companies that I want to, like private companies that maybe you would have or my buddy would own or a friend of mine would own, right? Um, I'll buy those shares and get dividends off of all that money, and I, I'll live off of that money, and my solo Roth is exploding for uh, my retirement, but also my uh, legacy that I'm trying to build for my family as I build this thing out.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, uh, what you told me is something that I didn't even know that existed. I mean, I know solo 401k, we know self-directed IRA. This is like, is there anything else that uh, you want to share with our audience that not well known?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's other things that you know everybody has to look at because everybody's different. So I'm not, by no means am I, your, you know, anybody's tax advisor, but I give you some ideas that, um, you know, you could go look at and, and kind of uh, study one of them that I love is uh, the um, charity donation sign, which I kind of talked to you a little bit about as well at my office, which is where um, for a person that you know is in business, has money, and they're going to have this massive tax bill due uh, at a certain time, um, they're allowed to donate. Um, uh, in my example, I donate art. To charity, like a five hundred one c three, you know, not to a buddy or something, but a five hundred one c three, and they can donate that art and get the value of that art given to them. So, for example, what I do is I have a certain artist that I buy his his art. He releases a new piece. You can buy it. I'm a pre customer, so I buy it at a certain price, very very cheap, basically, because um, I'm one of the first ones that will buy it, and then. Uh, maybe he only sells 500 of those pieces. Well, by the time they get, maybe I paid, I'm gonna make a number here. Maybe i paid $5,000 for this piece of art. And, you know, within a year or two years, whatever it is, that piece of art right now is worth, um, uh, $150,000. Okay. So I've only paid $5,000 for it, but it's worth $150,000 now and not worth it because I just say it is I'll go get a, a appraisal and, or a, um, um, what do you call it? A um, replacement value from the artist. So that and that's how I normally do it is a replacement value. So I go get a replacement value or a um, appraisal on it, um, and then I'll go donate that piece of art. Well, I'm only in it for five thousand dollars. So if I donate it, and let's say at that time it's worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, then I get a tax credit of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars added to my uh, taxes as a tax deduction for that donation. So. At my house, at my office, I have art everywhere. It's beautiful. Matter of fact, the piece behind me right now, you probably see it on the screen, is a massive picture of New York City. And um, it's, I think this piece is like, uh, it's probably 15 feet long and like four feet tall or something. There's a, you can't see it, but there's a piece over here and a piece over there. They're all throughout my house. They're all throughout my office. And I buy them, I use them. I enjoy them while they're, while they're going up in value and then i'll go donate it this piece behind me i can tell you i paid ten thousand dollars for that piece the piece over there i paid four thousand dollars for and um and then i'll go donate donate up. so you're only allowed to donate though just so you know up to 40 percent of your um taxes so if you donate over that they'll roll that into next year so this is an easy game that wealthy if you've ever seen sometimes you go to like a library or different things and you see like art on the wall and it says donated by such and such you know family or such and such person and I've always thought before I was wealthy I was thinking oh man what a nice person they are to donate art to the library and it's like no 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 bro yeah. they donated that <laughs> because they were getting all these tax write-offs for that piece of art and so that's the easy one that I do every single year I do that one where I uh, donate art to the maximum ability, 40% of my tax is that I owe. I donate all of that away. So I get 10,000, I'll probably get 200,000 off that piece of art behind me um, for a $10,000 uh, know, investment. And then one more that I'll just give you that I use a lot is what's called the Augusta rule. And again, I'm not a tax advisor, so go study. You know, yeah. If you're listening, go study yourself. But Augusta rule is a really cool one where you can actually rent your house out. Now, there has to be you got to meet the qualifications to go do this. And what I mean by that is I can actually pay myself, um, uh, My, am sorry, my company can actually rent my house and pay me um, for that money um, as a tax deduction um, that I can write off in my company um, for renting my house out for like a company party or a company get together, or if I'm gonna have a company dinner There's lots of things where, you know, there's always, you can write off part of your house for this or that, but there's another level called the Augusta rule that some of you, a lot of people are qualified for that you should look into if you're in business that you could immediately save money right away. If you uh, do do certain things.
1: Augusta? Augusta,
2: like the city of Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, the golf town, it's called the Augusta rule. And that's a cool way where you can literally pay your house, uh, I mean, pay a payment to your house or rent your house and use it for your business, um, as on top of the other expenses um, as well. And then another one that a lot of people miss out on is paying their children. That's one that you can easily do. And there's a certain limit every year that you're allowed to pay your children, um, and that's tax deductible. So you can pay your children. They have to do you know odd work for you. It Can't be you know fraud. But you can hire your children to pay them, and again write that off in your uh, from your company as well. So this is like three like super easy. Well, not super easy ones, but three that can be used quite a bit. The art one is my favorite one. I, I maximize that one every single year. The Augusta rule, I use every single year. And then you have the um, uh, hiring your children. I don't use that one yet because I don't have children yet. But if I should I do, I would immediately hire my children for something, I promise. Got yeah. it, got it. Can you
1: name, say that?
2: going to say, all this to go back is simply means that, remember, wealthy people create money and they know how to keep money. If you think about it, like on this, you know, podcast right here, you know, with kind of like, no, you know, like I don't have any notes laying around. Like I don't, I don't have anything. Like mean, you, you know, we're talking about what we're going to talk about and we said, let's talk about money. But my point is like, think about just this podcast, how much like knowledge and information. I just explain on, on taxes for people without even attempting to actually go into some deep stuff because I need a whiteboard and everything else. But that's what I'm trying to explain to you when I say the, the game of money the game of money that the wealthy play, the, the creators, is that they know how to create it, but then they know how to keep it. Because if me and you both invest $100,000, and let's just say we both make $100,000, right? You get $100,000 and I get $100,000. What happens to the normal person is their next objective is to pay nothing in taxes. So this is where small businesses get stuck at. What they want to do is, I want to make, I, I, I made $100,000 and I want to, I don't want to pay taxes. So if I don't want to pay taxes, I'm hundred grand and, and, and I'm in business. What, what do business owners do? They go spend that money. They go spend that money anywhere they can because they're like, well, I do have a new truck um, or I'm going to pay taxes. Why do they have a, you know, a new this or a new that or whatever it is that they're buying. So what happens, they're playing what's called the, the deduction game and, it, and I'm not against it, but they're, they're missing the point is that what happens is they invested a hundred thousand or in their business or whatever it is. They made a hundred thousand dollars. Their next move is to actually go spend a hundred thousand dollars, so that they can go to their CPA and their CPA at the end of the year says, "Oh, well, look at that. Um, you don't owe anything in taxes." And they think, "Oh my God, I'm a genius. I don't, I don't pay anything in taxes." But how much is in their bank account? Zero. Nothing is in your bank account anymore. So therefore, how much did you really make? Well, you made zero because you made a hundred, but you spent a hundred. Therefore, you made zero. The wealthy know how to. Using a solo Roth and some of these other things I was talking about, make a hundred thousand and keep a hundred thousand. Therefore, if I make a hundred, invest a hundred, and make a hundred, and I keep a hundred, how much do I have? Well, I have two hundred. How much does the other person have? Zero. So, who really is making money here? It's very simple to understand. You know what I mean? When you get down to it, one side is making money, one side's not.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, this is so much of information that you have given me and 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 audience. I mean, it's like. Wow, you can do that <laughs> right so uh, I mean that's a pow- powerful thing about you know capitalism right it does allow you to do things the right way. all these are legal why right? there's no oh, certain, yeah. yeah it's it's all the i mean i mean as i, as I always talk to my investors you know um the tax code is meant to incentivize real estate investors because there's so yep. much of incentive, and that's a that's a reason why government did it i mean there's not they are, i mean the government is not stupid right they basically did that so that they don't own the houses in the country, right? Right. If you go to like a third third world country, a lot of governments own the houses, right? They give housing yeah. to the people. So they don't have this kind of law, right? So, but here, because the government is not taking care of the houses, they gave a series of incentive in their tax code. And the people who work on that tax code and capitalize on that, like real estate investors, they do, they do gain from that, right? And and I'm sure the reason why they have this solo Roth and all that, they want to incentivize someone to invest in businesses, right? Because if yeah. you don't have that, what's the motivation, right? I mean, uh, you know, between investing somewhere else, right? But they created all this to, you know, invest in business. They want more business friendly economy, uh, which is, you know, the backbone of capitalism, right? So um, so all these are all done for a reason. And, and I think oh, the yeah. wealthy or the one who knows how to take advantage of all these reasons, all this... It's not a loophole it's just incentive right uh, uh if they able to use the incentive then they gain right uh, and and i think that's how you play the game i guess that's what i'm saying right so
2: yeah i mean people call it a loophole right people always say oh it's a loophole it's not a loophole it's it's the same laws that you're using on your tax deductions at h and block i mean it's the same do you call what you're doing a loophole you know i mean like the person who you know is trying to say that the wealthy person is wrong for taking these loopholes they take the same, they'll take as many loopholes as they can as well. Like it, it, like if you don't want to, then, then take no deductions for, at all from your taxes and, and give the government all your money if you want to. But it's funny because there's people that you know, say it's a loophole or the same people that use the same types of, or at least the same concept on their side. Um, what I always say though is that when it comes to the government side of it, you gotta remember this uh, um, the rules of money were created by the wealthy for the wealthy and passed, passed by the wealthy. So the wealthy are the ones who create the rules of money and how it works and operates. And they're passed by the government because of that's how lobbying works. So lobbying, lobbyists pass these uh, big, big, like, like all these uh, different tax laws that are happening. They pass these laws through lobbyists. And who votes on them? Okay, Congress and senators. Now, if you think about United States Congressmen and women and United States senators, men and women that are out there are, would you just in a general broad stroke, classify United States senators as creators or contributors? Well, unfortunately in politics, most politicians that are senators actually are very wealthy now and congressmen and so forth. And I get into a thousand reasons why I think that shouldn't be that way, but uh, to stay on this point is that of course they pass those laws because who does, those, who does that law benefit? It literally benefits them and their family when these tax uh, brackets and laws uh, are, are getting pushed through, it benefits them. So of course they wanna pass those laws. It, it, it benefits their personal family.
1: That's very interesting. So thanks for dropping all that knowledge bomb. So we're coming towards the end. Can you sure. tell us based on your whole life experience right now, you've done real estate, you're doing a lot of things with the money one proud moment that you're really, really proud of that you're gonna carry until you know, the end of your lunch story.
2: Yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's the easy one for me. You know, Like I said, started at the beginning, money is influence. And um, my, I grew up in a very poor family, uh, truth be told. Like I, I grew up on food stamps and WIC sometimes and ate government cheese and you know all this stuff. Um, very, very middle class, very hardworking mom and dad a very extremely loving family, very close family. Um, The parents put me, I have three younger sisters. They put us first and everything. And they were trying to make a better life for us as best as they could. And the the proudest moment I ever had in my life is uh, as I made a certain amount of money, I got to the point where I could um, retire uh, my mom and dad. And I sat down with both of them and retired my mom and dad, both from working way early. They were in their... um, early 50s um, they're still to this day they're still not at retirement age but they haven't worked in years and years and years and years i i pay them uh, or i give them money and um you know because at the end of the day i think the the greatest asset that anybody has is time is the way out um but, you know the most the most important thing that we all have is the greatest asset is time and wh- who cares if you have a bunch of money when you die if you don't have any time left over um, I mean, who cares if you die with a bunch of money? I'd either spend time with my family, my parents, my sisters, you know, uh, my wife, all that. I, that. That's what's important. So, you know, to me, the part of the proudest moment I have is when money allowed me to influence my mom and dad to retire. I bought them a house, I bought them cars, uh, I bought each of them their own car, their favorite car they, they've always wanted. And um, for close to, I guess, coming up in a decade maybe uh, I've taken care of them and, and, and they don't need me to take care of them, but it's, it's my privilege. It's what I want to do is to give back to those that I love. So, um, uh, that's probably by, right now by far my, you know, to be able to retire mom and dad when you're like 30 something years old is pretty freaking crazy. I don't think, you know, it, starting from nothing, um, is pretty crazy, you know? So that's my proudest moment, man.
1: That's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. That's, uh, proud of you as a friend, right? So, uh, why not you tell our audience uh, how to get hold of you and uh, a, a blip about um, a blurb about your show?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, if you, if you want to follow me, just you can go to my name, my website. It's just my name, Andrew Cordell. That's C-O-R-D as in David, L-E.com, Uh You can also go to moneyis.com uh, as well, moneyis.com. Is, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Cordell, this is really all I do is try to get, you know, help people out with, with understanding the game of money and how it works. Money Is is a show that I created to help try to get the message out where I can sit down with people and talk to them about, you know, what money means to them and how, how the game is played and what their viewpoint on it is. Uh, it doesn't really matter if I agree or disagree. I'm just trying to get, you know, for us as a country, for us as a middle class, which is what I grew up in, For us to go and grow our wealth we have to start having authentic real conversations about money and until we have authentic conversations about money and money is no longer a taboo topic that we can't discuss at our family dinners or at nighttime we're sitting with your children if we can't ever discuss money then how are your children going to learn about money because the school is not going to teach them college is not going to teach them it's it's on you and us to teach you know your family my family about money so Money is, is is trying to be a, a kind of a show that enables people to learn about money and talk about money uh, with no judgment and um, you know, wide open uh, for the audience to listen to. So if you guys want to follow me, hit up uh, andrewcordal.com or moneyis.com and I'd be happy to uh, you guys shoot me a message. would be happy to respond to you and they can help you with it. Be happy to help.
1: Thanks, Andrew, for being a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I'm sure you had tons of value. Thank you very much for coming on. Let's go on with the show.
0: That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.